Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. So much fun to introduce you to Cameron Harold. Cameron and I have been friends for years. We've shared the stage at events together. One of the things I love about Cameron is his pedigree of track record of success as a, not just an expert teacher, but an expert doer. So a huge part of his story was that he was the COO of a company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And in six years, he helped that company go from $2 million in revenue to $106 million in revenue. Eventually, he left that business and became a personal brand. He's a best-selling author of a book called Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. He's got other books. Um, he's also a great example of somebody that we think of as like has a, developed a real strong niche expertise around specifically serving a specific audience, COOs. The COO Alliance is something that he started, which is like the world's largest community for number twos in companies, not the CEO, the COO, which is often a very underserved community that he identified and you know, found his uniqueness there and, and built that into something extraordinary. And he's going to tell us all the secrets about how he did it. And he's going to tell us for free. And that's why he's here. Welcome, Cameron Harold. Hey, Rory. Thanks for having me, but I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So my first kind of question for you is, you know, we've got a lot of people in our community who are like coaches, consultants, etc. But I love your story. Like you kind of came out of I don't know if you call it the corporate world, more of the entrepreneur world, but that's got to, that was got to be a shift from going, I'm a COO, I'm an employee that has a job every day to I'm going to build a personal brand teaching people my expertise. Can you just talk a little bit about what happened? When did it happen? How did, like, how did that transition start for you? It's interesting. So it's interesting you mentioned coaches. I've been coaching entrepreneurs for 31 years. Wow. Since before coaching was a thing, I had coached 120 entrepreneurs by 1993. Um, all, of the, all of these companies that I was coaching all had real, real businesses with real employees and, and uh, we're actually in two countries as well. So I'd coached a lot of entrepreneurs 30 years ago. And I had also, when I started to build 1-800-GOT-JUNK with my best friend who was the CEO, it was then gonna be the fourth company that I'd helped build. 
But the other three, I was very much behind the scenes as a second command or a very, very senior leader. In one of the two, I was a very senior leader. The other two, I was second command. And in all three, I was very behind the scenes. So my name was never really affiliated or attached to the brand. And I decided when I joined 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I was the 14th employee walking in the door. Um, when I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. But I knew on day one, the only way I was going to do it was either to have equity or to have brand equity. And I needed my name to be attached to the brand because I wasn't going to do it for the fourth time and have nobody know what I did. So very, very early Interesting. on. I, yeah. So it was very much by design that I knew my equity play was going to be more valuable having my name attached to what I'd done versus having equity in the company. See, that's awesome. Like I've never even thought about that as like, like when I think about personal branding, what we do, I always think about it as like, hey, you know, either start your own business or you do it to grow a business. But even inside of a company, it's like the value of building your own brand and reputation and being associated with that company is equity value. And it it got to the point where it actually became embarrassing last year where um, the founder had written a book called WTF. Brian is is one of my best friends. And and in the book, WTF, Willing to Fail, when I started reading it, I was like, I just hope he mentions me. I hope he says, thank you to Cameron somewhere in the book. (laughs) And then like on page three, he mentions me. And then on page six, he mentions me. And then on page 12, and I'm like, okay, good. You mentioned me. We're awesome. Thanks so much. We get to the end of the book and I've been in there like seven or eight times, but no one else on the leadership team had been mentioned with the exception of the new COO who I've known for 34 years because we started a fraternity together. And he mentioned Eric, but I realized that the others who had helped build the company had fallen into the shadows, much like I had fallen into the shadows in building Gerber Auto Collision and Boyd Auto Body and College Pro Painters and ubarter.com. And I just didn't want that to happen again. So I was pleased that that was, but it was by design, right? So the, the way that I did it was making sure that I did the speaking events for the company, that I was very outward facing, much like Harley Finkelstein is today as the second command for Shopify, a very outward facing COO or Sheryl Sandberg, a very outward facing COO for Facebook versus a lot of COOs are very inward facing and they're only known inside the company. I wanted the outward brand as well. So it was, it was a lot of speaking events for the company in the early days. And, and as we scaled, and then it was a lot of press interviews and generating press interviews. We had 5,200 stories written about our company in six years, independent stories. And, and this was all before social media existed. So it was how do you build a brand with speaking and with PR coverage was how we did it. Interesting. So even as an employee, there's just that value to building the personal brand, being out there, being in the public eye. And so not, then, not necessarily being the one taking credit for things but just being the one explaining how we as a team were doing it. You know, I didn't have to be taking credit for what my team was doing, but I could explain how we were doing what we were doing, right? So very much like a guy Kawasaki did with Apple, you know, that he has described himself as technical evangelist for Apple. But what most people don't know is there was a meeting that Steve Jobs had that the guy Kawasaki was sitting in and Steve said, as of today, all of you, every single one of you employees, your title is technical evangelist. Like, go talk about the brand. So guys like, fuck it, I'm getting business cards that say technical evangelist. And he built his entire brand off of becoming a spokesperson for the company when the reality is every employee is a spokesperson for what you're doing. Most just don't stand up and talk about it. Awesome. Love that. Okay, so you guys, so you exit the business and then... 
fired by my best friend. <laughs> awesome. Love it when that happens. That, yeah, my, my best friend fired me one morning after six and a half years on good terms. But he's just like, look, you're the guy that took us from two million to a hundred million. You're not the guy to take us from a hundred million to a billion. So I, I left the company and took four months off. And for four months, I just journaled and, and wrote lists and mind maps and um, tried to figure out what I love doing and what did I not like doing and what was I good at and what do I suck at and what gives me energy and what drains me of energy. And what I came out at was I love speaking and I love networking and masterminding and I love coaching. And outside of that, I'm great at a lot of stuff, but I don't love it. And so that led you to go and, hey, I should take this personal brand and like make it my income generator. Yeah. And I really started to look at, you know, I love being the person who helps the entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. You know, even why am I on your podcast is to help you and your listeners. Why I built 1-800-GOT-JUNK was to help Brian. He was my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding three months before I joined him. Like I joined him to help him grow his company. Coaching entrepreneurs has always been, I love coaching them and helping them. So I just wanted to build a brand around that and build my name around being that CEO whisperer you know, the one who was just whispering in every CEO's ear and giving them the shortcuts to scale their companies. Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, I hear people refer to you as like the CEO whisperer specifically in that like entrepreneurial environment. You and I shared the stage at EO events. I think that's every time we've shared the stage or which I think has only been twice has been at an EO event, but you're yet your audience, you kind of you know, exploited this vertical of the COO. So was that deliberate or like, how do you, how do you reconcile those? And very deliberate. See, I had played the COO four times, right? So I was in the COO role and I kept showing up at EO events and YPO events and Vistage events and Genius Network events and Maverick events and all these amazing events for entrepreneurs, but I didn't fit in. I wanted to get into the nitty gritty and talk about the operations of the businesses I was building so I realized that there were a hundred groups for entrepreneurs, but there, and there were groups for marketers and lawyers and engineers and doctors, lots of association, but there was no association or organization or mastermind group for the second command. So I started one for the COOs called the COO Alliance. But if I grow the COO's skills and if I grow the COO's capacity, they'll grow their entrepreneur's company. So it's completely consistent with my core purpose. And it was just a need that wasn't happening, but I was listening to my customers. I was coaching Bob Glazier from Acceleration Partners and his COO. And then I was coaching Tucker Max and his COO. And I was coaching then like all these CEOs with their COOs that I was coaching. And I realized their COOs were the ones doing it. I needed to, to really coach them on how to do it. I needed to coach the CEO on what needed to happen. Uh-huh. But that's just... Uh, like one of the things we say at Brand Builders all the time is you're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. And you're such a great example of that, of going, I was a CEO, a COO. I understand their world. I am that person. Holy moly, nobody is servicing this group. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start it. And that is that- well, It was also because I listened to my customer and I gave them what they needed. Instead of me trying to create something and market it to a group that doesn't necessarily exist, they were all wanting and starving for more information and starving to talk to each other. So I just, I actually got 10 of my second in commands together from companies that I coached, pulled them together for a two and a half day weekend, and they all wanted to keep meeting. So I'm like, let's just start this thing. It, it's like my books. I've written five books, but none of them, I didn't have this desire to be an author or desire to, but my 
clients wanted more information. Like, how do I get more press coverage? You landed 5,000 stories. How do I get it? So I just wrote a book and here, there's the content. Like I gave them the how-to guide in every book. So it was more like, it wasn't going, hey, I've got an idea for a book. It was more going, hey, my clients have a need for information. And that was the genesis of the book. That's it. Like I have two others that I'm working on right now. One is on the highs and lows of CEOs and why most entrepreneurs ride this manic bipolar roller coaster and how do we how do we ride that in a better way and then the second is about building that ceo coo relationship that real two in a box model and it's again i don't want to be a writer i don't, I don't like writing but i like sharing my ideas because it helps so many people and can you tell us a little bit like your about your business model now okay so you you know we know that you're a speaker and you get paid a speaking fee okay you write some books and make some money from that but like as a personal brand, what's the primary revenue model? Is it the COO Alliance? It's a few. So if I, if I was to take you through what my funnel might look like, my revenue funnel, the top of my funnel is all the press that I generate for myself. So it's podcasts, you know, speaking events, it's, and, and sometimes being paid to speak, but all that is, is press, right? So all of the press coverage and then being paid to get press coverage is one. All of my books and selling you know, tens of thousands of copies of each of my five books gets more revenue, but more brand building as well. And then my coaching of CEOs and their teams, because I'm paid, my, my coaching rate's $2,700 an hour. So I'm paid a good rate for the year to coach these people. And then I have the COO Alliance, which is really a business in and of itself that is you know already really revenue positive and scaling. Um, and then I have referral income. So I have, you know, I spent 14 years knowing who the best M&A firms are, the best executive search firms, best copywriting firms, PR firms, fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs, and I refer companies to these groups. And then I just get checks in the mail from those relationships and those introductions. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's the whole, the whole brand builder model is, you know, we have a bunch of affiliates that we pay them a lifetime referral fee just to basically come on in and talk to their audience and do a free thing. And then anyone that comes from it, I mean, it's incredible. It's crazy how powerful that is. I'm the number one referral source to scribe, you know, for book in a box. Lewis Howes is one of your clients is he's the number two referral source into book in a box, right? Now it's called scribe. I've got four of my coaching clients are working with this one, one M and a firm to help them exit and they'll get huge exits. And then I get nice referral fees. And then the last thing that I do is all of my coaching clients three years after their coaching ends, they have to write me a bonus check for what coaching was really worth when I was coaching them. So it's whoa, whoa, say that again. Yeah, so it, it's based on, on an idea that the true value that they generate doesn't generate during coaching. It generates in the years following coaching when they actually implement all the ideas they've learned. So three years after we finish our coaching engagement, they have to cut me a bonus check for what they feel the value of the coaching really was. Wow, and it's not, not set. It's just it's based on what they feel like it was worth. Yeah, I, I have a guy right now who like every time I talk to him, he goes, that was just a McLaren. He goes, that was a Ferrari. Thank you. Like this is like, a, he's like, I know I'm writing you some big checks here. You know, one of my clients went from 4 million to 52 million in four years. Another one of my coaching clients that I coached for six years, three years ago, he raised $255 million from Warburg Pincus, one of the top investment banks. I've helped four companies sell for 150 million or more. So there's, there's really nice income there when I focus on their needs and not worry about the check. The check comes later. Uh-huh. So that's one of the other things I wanted to ask you about. So one was just a little bit about your story as a personal brand. I think that's really fascinating to, to go that you're getting like 
referral income as a percentage of just these introductions you're making to these high value connections and what that is worth. And that's worth a lot. And, but the other thing was I actually wanted to talk about scaling a business. Okay. Because personal branding is, is interesting. A lot of times people get into it and it's like, Oh yeah, I want to make some money. And then they start making money. And then it's like, okay, they're, they're building their notoriety. And then they hit like this one to $3 million threshold, like this ceiling and they go, crap, I'll never get past this, this level if it's all about me. And then it's going, okay, how do I get from 3 million to 10 million or that eight figures? And I think it's like, when I think of you just as my friend, it's like, you are someone I, I put in that category of going, okay, if I need to talk to someone about shifting my mindset from that, you know, seven figure to the eight figure, nine figure mindset, you're like the guy. So what do personal brands need to do if they want to make that leap? Not everybody does, but if they do want to go, I want to turn my personal brand into a real business, what yeah. switches do we have to flip? So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four. And I, I've been chomping at the bits. I, I, they both, all four of them came to me really, really quickly. So it's interesting that you said from 1 million to 3 million. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the ones and the threes, but the ones and the threes are the natural hurdle points in a company. When you go from one employee to three, everything's different. And then you go to 10 employees. Now you have like a manager somewhere. Then you go to 30 employees. You might have a few managers. You go to 100 employees. You don't know the names of everybody. You go to 300 employees. You've got internal politics. You go to you know, like, and then from on the dollar side, 100,000 to 300,000. Okay, now you've actually got a real business. You've replaced a wage. Then you go to a million. Well, now all of a sudden you've got taxes to take care of and you're trying to figure out ways to, mod, like to minimize tax. And you've probably got employees and issues. And then 3 million, you're dealing with banks and credit facilities. And and then 10 million and 30 million, 100 million. So there's these natural inflection points that happen. So the key is to get over. Uh, so one thing on that, can I stop you on this? Because yeah. I've never heard you say that, but I've heard other people quote that, but they, they've always said, I heard somebody once talk about. So are you, can I officially start citing yeah. you as the, the originator of the ones and threes? Because I love that. We talk about that. I've been talking about the ones and threes for ages because it's just this natural, I visualize everything as a series of hurdles. I used to run hurdles when I was in high school. I ran 400 meter hurdles and, and I picture myself as having to go over these hurdles, but the hurdles keep getting bigger, right? As, as we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, you know, we had six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. Six years in a row, we, d we doubled the size of the company. Every, it was like pushing a snowball up a hill with one hand. Like you had to claw your way up the mountain and the snowball kept getting bigger. So the hurdles keep getting bigger and you need to anticipate what happens at each hurdle point to scale your company or you get stuck at the hurdle, right? So I'll give you a, the, the core lessons I would give are the first one, if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. So every single person who's a thought leader or a brand that one of the very first roles you need to hire is an executive assistant or a fractional or part-time executive assistant to get all the stuff off your plate that is less than a $25 an hour job, $50 an hour job. But right? if you think that my effective hourly coaching rate is $2,700 an hour, my speaking events are, are $30,000 or $5,000 for Zoom, so I shouldn't be doing anything that's less than $2,500 an hour. Like nothing. I should delegate everything except the stuff that is in my hourly rate. So executive assistance, the first one. Second one is recognizing the ones and the threes and the tens and the hurdle points. The third is to delegate everything except genius, right? And to really look to get stuff off your plate. Just because you could do it, just because you're capable of doing it, just because you're good at it, doesn't mean that it fills you with energy. 
And the more of your day that you can be filling up with energy as you're working in your business, the more that positive energy just continues to spiral upwards. So it's about getting stuff off your plate. It needs to get done, but not by us, right? So that's, it's kind of like, can you be that lazy entrepreneur and delegate everything except genius is huge. And then the, the fourth one, and this is a really powerful number that people need to understand. When you're running your own business, when you go from being a solopreneur to, to, to building it into a business, you're only going to get paid a third of the time. Like only a third of my time am I going to get paid for speaking or paid for coaching. Another third of the time I'm dealing with stuff with my clients. I'm getting prepped for an event. I'm prepping for coaching. I'm thinking about my clients. I'm making referrals, whatever. But I'm, I'm doing some unpaid work. And then maybe 30% of my time, I'm actually doing sales and marketing, trying to find more, more clients. So if I'm only going to get paid a third of the time, I need to charge three times what I think I'm going to charge to end up at the end of the year with what I want to make. So here's what I mean by that. Let's say you want to earn $100,000 a year just for easy math, or let's say a million dollars a year. If you want to earn a million dollars a year, that means your hourly rate, if you worked 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, you would be getting paid $500 an hour for 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year generates a million dollars in income. Okay, slow down here just a little bit on the math because I'm, <laughs> I'm going, okay. So a million dollars a year is how much? It's $500 an hour. So you can do the very quick math, $500 times 40 hours a week times 52 weeks generates a million dollars, okay? Got it. But if you're only getting paid 30% of the time and 30% of the time you're working on the business and not getting paid for it and 30% of the time you're at finding new clients, that means you need to charge $1,500 an hour because you're only really going to be billing out at about 14 hours a week to end up with a million dollars a year. The reason most consultants never make enough money is they charge the hourly rate they used to get paid. And then they realize that at the end of the year, they don't get paid for 40 hours a week when they're still trying to find work. Uh -huh. You're not charging enough. You got to charge more. One of the very, very first things I did at 1-800-GOT-JUNK was raised our prices by 40%. One of the first, one of the, the first two weeks I was there, you know, like That's what's, amazing. what's your speaking event fee? I know you're going to tell me and I'm going to have to raise mine again, but what do you charge for your speaking? 25 grand for okay. a, for a one, for a one hour, it's 25 grand. We're doing 7,500 for a, a virtual keynote. Okay. There you go. I need to change my virtual keynote because five grand I'm underpricing myself. Like you, every time you think about it, you can raise your bar a little bit. And what I can do with that extra money is I can. Yeah. Well, our friend Dorsey, right? Every time I talk to Dorsey, uh, I have to go, crap, you. I got to double my fees. But like, Dorsey, at least I helped Dorsey with some time. That guy used to check his suitcase at the airport. I'm like, dude, you can't check your suitcase and do 130 speaking events a year. But yeah, he's, he's doing like 130 speaking events a year at 50 grand each. I mean, yeah. When you charge more, then you can spend more on your website, you can spend more on your coaching, you can spend more on the masterminds you're in, you can spend more on your branding, you can spend more on your marketing. But if you don't charge enough, you don't have enough to spend on everything and you're not making enough. So what about when you first start though? Like how do you, because that's hard, right? Like if, if you first start, if you're just beginning, do you go set my price based on what I think I'm worth or do I take what I can get? Or do I just figure out mathematically, here's how much I need to make at the end of the year. I know I I'm only going to get paid a third. Like, how do you calculate that in the beginning? I never negotiate price. I always add value. So my speaking event is 30000 Oh, you can't pay me 30000 Well, my speaking event is still 30000 for me to fly to you. But the night before, I'll do a dinner with you and some of your CEO friends. It's 30000 Okay, well, now it's 30000 plus a dinner and I'll give you some books as well. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add some value, but the price is going to stay at 30000 
what most of the rookies do is they tend to negotiate their fee down too quickly. And they just, what they haven't learned is that entrepreneurs negotiate. It's just, they do it for sport. Entrepreneurs negotiate for fun. It's like being uh-huh. in Mexico and negotiating for the trinket on the beach. You just know that you don't pay the first price, right? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to just go, you know, some of these are just like literally mental switches that you have to flick in, like in your brain in order to scale and, and to move. And These are the mental switches that I learned as a young child. So I, had, I did a TED talk or a TEDx talk that's on the main TED website. So if you go to TED.com, you look up raising entrepreneurial kids. I did a talk 10 years ago about all these different businesses that I ran before I was 18 years old and all the business lessons I learned. So I learned how to negotiate when I was eight years old selling license plate protectors door to door. I learned how to hire my first employee when I was nine and I hired a neighbor to do deliveries for me for the newspaper. So I would collect the tips, but he would deliver them during the week. You know, I learned all of these lessons. So for me, the mental switches have always been there because I was groomed as an entrepreneur at a very young age. One last little question here, which is not something I was planning on asking, but when you look ahead at the future of personal branding, right? Like you hang in a lot of these circles, you know, we hang in some of the same circles. You mentioned something like masterminds and you know, a lot of these best-selling authors, you know, a lot of these high dollar speakers specifically on the valuation. This is totally, totally out of left field. One of the things I've been trying to wrestle with and think about is I'm just going like, you know, there's such a market for buying and selling companies but I think there is an emergence of a market of buying and selling email lists and members and subscribers and podcast downloads. Is, is there anything that you see related to the future of the valuation of certain assets of personal brands being bought and sold like values of email lists or just anything really in general, like your mind on the future of personal branding? I see the flip side of that, actually, which is that most of the people trying to build personal brands, unless they've actually done what they are saying they can do, are going to get filtered out because of AI or because of, it's almost like if you go on Twitter today and you see a post that Donald Trump did and 30% of them are getting flagged by this is not true. I think we're going to start seeing filters built into our AI or built into our social platforms that allow us to scan for who the frauds are really quickly. Like we're going to just know that Rory Bacon is the real deal. He's run a real consulting company. You know, Jason Dorsey is the real deal. Like I've known Lewis Howes for 14 years. I had lunch with Lewis before he could afford to buy lunch in New York 13, 14 years ago. He's the real deal with like what he built off LinkedIn with um, Sean Malarkey, his old partner. Like you'll, Victoria LeBomb is the real deal. Like you'll know who these real business people are that are also the thought leaders. And then you'll know the ones that have just become good marketers, but don't have the content and they're marketing somebody else's content. So I think you're going to have to be really 60 minutes proof. You have to be able to have people scratch the surface and know you've done what you say you can do. You're not just out there quoting somebody else's quotes or selling somebody else's stuff. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot less of the good marketers selling somebody else's stuff. And there's going to be a lot more or, or a better, truer, brands of people that have actually done it before. Interesting. I love that. I'd welcome that both for us and our clients. Just do it the right way. Play the long game. Don't take advantage of people. Think hard, work hard, come up with meaningful stuff. And it's like, is know that that will pay off. And in the future, AI may be a part of that. It's filtering people out. 
Well, and that could be a really killer app right now that could be created that'd be a layer or an API that ties in with like Facebook. Imagine if I go on somebody's Facebook and then this little app, it's like, oh, you're on Rory Vaden's site. Oh, fraud, Rory's never done it before. Oh, Rory's amazing and it gives a score. But instead of me needing to load your name in and checking to see what your Instagram followers are real, like there's apps right now where you can do it, but you have to do it manually. Imagine if it was a layer that oversaw everything right now for us, almost like a, like one of the coupon codes, like, hey, a coupon's available. Imagine if every single person's profile you clicked on, it overlaid and showed you what their real brand value actually was. So you knew if the, who the frauds were and who the others weren't. Could be Interesting. powerful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about that. This I don't know if this is still around, but there was a thing that called the clout score, the K-L-O-U-T. And, and that was actually kind of like that, where it was like... But you had to go into clout to see it. Right. What I'm saying is like, imagine if I go click on John Rulin's profile in, in, you know, from Giftology and Facebook and it's like, whoa, cloud score 98. I didn't even think to look, but it shows me his cloud score and his bullshit factor and his swearing value or whatever. It's like, whoa, that's an interesting. I'm yeah. Exactly and I, you know, it's interesting too. And somebody like John Rulin is interesting because if you look at, if you looked at like his number of followers, you might not be that impressed, but if you saw the guy's personal Rolodex, not just the Rolodex, but like the people who he so, actually knows and who and, he actually has those through brick walls for him. Like the people that I just introduced John to a major, major, major player three hours ago, like a major player. Right. And if, if you think about who that guy knows, yeah, that could be some pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Interesting to see. Well, I love that. Cameron, where should people go if they want to learn more about you? I mean, certainly anyone listening that has a second in command, which all of us should if we're building a real personal brand, you know, where to learn about COO Alliance and the stuff that you're up to. Yeah, check out the Second in Command podcast for sure. It's an amazing podcast where we have amazing guests. We, we will never interview the CEO. We only interview the Second in Command, the COO Alliance for sure. Um, and then all five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And then I guess my personal brand website, just go to CameronHerald.com. You'll see everything wrapped up there. Awesome. Well, brother, thanks for challenging my thinking. I feel like every time I talk to you, there's something that's like, it really stretches, stretches me to think in a new way. And I uh, appreciate you making some time for us, man. And we just, as always, wish you the best. Thank you. The feeling's mutual. I get stretched every time as well. Appreciate it. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.